Good morning. My name is Zirk. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's uh, a joy to be here preaching this morning. I kind of had a, a summer off uh, to let some other guys in, and it was really good. Uh, but it's good to be back in Labor Day weekend, so woo, extra long weekend. Um, glad that you're here together. Uh, so we are uh, going to dig in. So um, the question I want to really put forward for you all to really consider before we get into the text, before we get into anything, is, is have you really wondered, not ever, I know you have, have you really wondered why loneliness and isolation are so common today? I feel like we hear about it all the time in, 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 in social media and news articles um, and various different platforms and outlets, but we see it's just prevalent. Like everyone, it seems, at some point is wrestling with this. So before COVID, January 2020, there's an NPR article that was titled, Most Americans Are Lonely and Our Workplace Culture May Not Be Helping. Well, three months later, workplace culture got a lot worse. It got very remote. It said in the article, more than three in five Americans consider themselves lonely, feel left out, poorly understood, or lacking companionship. That was before COVID. Today, uh, in February of 2021, article through Harvard, it came out, it said how social networks are essential. That if we haven't been able to gather, we are left to really impersonal text. This is my take on it. Because we're relying on social networks through a pandemic, which is for a lot of people really isolated, not in person. And, And I get the reasons that go into that, but bear with me. If you're relying on a social network that way, it leads to impersonal texts. It leads to just social media. And I think we can be honest. This has been for, I think, all of us, maybe not Terry, but probably the most divisive moment in our lifetimes. I mean, you lived through civil rights. Like, that was pretty divisive, right? And, and so our generations are going through something similar in that divisive nature. There was a KFF article, also in February 2021. It said that 41% of adults feel symptoms of anxiety or depression disorders. 41%. And that's just symptoms of those things. That's not just feeling lonely. So it's adding on to the layer already. We see mental health issues, ministry burnout, ministry fallout, substance abuse, suicidal thoughts, It's all deeply connected to isolation. I think we understand the the severity of the issue. And so, where we are today, we are in this together series as a church. And so we're near the tail end. We have two more weeks after this. Uh, But the the purpose of this series um, hasn't just been, oh, let's just fill up August before we get into Hebrews. But it's, it's been a time for us to really refocus as a body. It is a series specific for us here and now. We want to refocus as we've kind of come back into um, personal gathering spaces, in each other's homes again, in each other's lives and personal ways. We want to refocus and to see, yes, we are together and God has brought it about. And so what does it mean to really be together? Do we do a lot of the same things we did last year? Or the year before that? 
Or is God actually calling us to refocus, to look into his word, to see what his spirit is revealing to us, and begin to walk with him and lead in that? And so today's focus is pursuit, and with that, in tandem, patience. So this is one of our values as a church. So we have our vision statement, to be a people of invincible joy. So when we look out, when we want to see what God does in, in our people here, we want to see a people of invincible joy, right? And, and we know that's not a reality all the time. We know that we, we waver, we, we go back and forth, we're unhappy, we're lonely, we're isolated, but it's what God is calling us into, and he's going to bring to fulfillment one day. And because that's not our current situation, our current state of being, our mission then is to fight for that joy. And we have a variety of ways to do that. I won't get into that right now. But following our mission statement, many organizations and churches have what are called values that supplement the mission. So how do we do the mission? So we're fighting for joy, but are we doing it really aggressively? Are we doing it passive-aggressively? Are we staffing it out? What are we doing? We do it by these values. Gravity and gladness, and patience and pursuit. Gravity and gladness. So when we look at the cross, we see gravity and gladness at the same time. We see the severity of our sin. We see the, the, the great wrath of God towards sin. Our sin. We see Jesus brutally murdered on display. But at the same time, we see gladness because it is in his death that we have redemption. It's Good Friday. If you ever wondered why it's called that, it seems kind of weird. It's gravity and gladness. But second, what we're focusing in on today, pursuit and patience. That God pursues his people. God pursues the nations. And he is so patient. And so we're going to dig into that. So similar to last week, we, Donovan was up here preaching, talking about giving. It can be really easy to get an application like, give because you're supposed to. Um, that's not what he said, but, and that's not what I'm saying either. I'm not saying pursue because you're supposed to. But let's really dig into why. Like, if we really want to refocus, we, we need to get just beyond application and me telling you what to do. Because, honestly, it's just going to last maybe a day, if that. I want us to dig into why. Why pursuit? Why does God pursue? So the text for this morning is in John 1, 1 through 18. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull that up. So this is really going to be our launch pad here. I, I'm not going to take the whole morning going through it, but really I want us to see some really key things here. So if you look at verse 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. What a statement. If you want to get into a little bit more depth of this, the Greek word specifically used for this is the word logos, or logos, however you prefer. And to different people who read this, it would mean different things. So if you look at the time period, if you were of Greek uh, culture, influenced the Roman Empire, most would read that and understand logos as being the divine principle that transcended mortals and organizes and orders the universe. Here John is writing about the Logos as a person, not a principle. So he takes it a step further. 
Jews would read this, and it would remind them of passages like Psalm 107.20, where God's word goes out from him and heals, delivers, restores, and moves in power. It's his name, the word. And again, we see the word is a person who is God. John goes on to say, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That he illuminates the darkness. He reveals what is hidden. That we can't see in and of ourselves around us. There's no spiritual flashlight that we could use to reveal what's going on. It is in this word that reveals what is real. Verses 9 through 13 John writes, he was in the world, which means he's not distant. He's not the watchmaker who just kind of sets up creation and kind of lets it go off on its own. He is near and present and in our world. He said he came to his own, he came to his own people, but was not received, which then, again, reminds us of this darkness issue that is in the world. But he is the light, and he says, the darkness has not overcome it. And those who would receive him, who did receive him, became children of God, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Verse 14, I think, is one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. This Word, the Word, God, became flesh and dwelt with us. This Word, sorry, the, the word that they use to say dwelt here is the equivalent word that would mean tabernacle. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible and Old Testament, the tabernacle was the the temporary dwelling place of God, this tent of meeting, while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And the high priest would go in there once a year. No more. That's all that they could handle. And the tabernacle itself was this kind of a mini Garden of Eden. So if you think back to the Garden of Eden, it's, it's this beautiful, filled with life and, and vibrancy and plants and animals and all that. The tabernacle, if you were to really study the designs that you see in um, Exodus and, and Leviticus, you see the artwork on it really draws a parallel to the garden. You see the plant life. You see it all woven in, in this beautiful, beautiful design. This mini Eden that was once in the tabernacle, John is saying, it has now come to us as a person. The place of harmony and unity and life is here. And he says, in case you doubt what I write, he says, we have seen his glory as of the only God. The Father has made him known. 
this is, man, the whole story of the Old Testament really culminates here. John 1. If you look back at, at, at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, you see the, the myriad of angels showing up to the shepherds out in the middle of nowhere saying, Good news and great joy. Why? Christ the Savior is born in the city of David. And they all begin singing their praises to God. And they know. Let's go check it out. Because they know that this is the one, the Savior, the Messiah. This is the one that they've been waiting for for thousands of years. Since Genesis 3, thousands of years, prophecies, fallen leaders, fallen kings, wars, and slavery, and being exiled into hostile territories, and then hundreds of years of silence from God. And now, God is here. He's heard the cries of his people. His name is Jesus. So what does he do now that he's here? He pursues. He's always pursued, but now he's pursuing in the most intimate way possible, yet, so far. It's in his nature to pursue. And specifically, it's within his holiness to pursue us. What is holiness? It's one thing that we sing about a lot. It's one thing we even talk about, but may not be able to put the right definition on. In simple, it is his otherness. God's otherness. He's just other than us, than who we are, than our world, than what we are like in many ways. Theologian R.C. Sproul says this, that holiness, it, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. And what we see in scripture, this Transcendent otherness descends and pursues in the person Jesus. Where else do we see it? Well, we just finished Isaiah, and if you remember over a year ago when we were in chapter 6, we see what happens here. We see Isaiah has this vision of the Lord, and, and he's terrified, rightly so, because he is seeing the Lord face to face on the throne. Like, not good. He's holy. I'm not. I'm going to die. It's not compatible to be in the same space. God then brings the hot coal to touch Isaiah's lips, which is the symbolic gesture of purifying him in his presence. So we see, I think, pretty simply there, God's holiness reaching out to Isaiah in his presence but we can't forget that it was the Lord who gave Isaiah the vision in the first place. The Lord gave him the vision of bringing him up into his presence. Isaiah didn't just dream, just wound up there. It was God who brought him in, and then he drew near to him. And there's, honestly, guys, we could go through so many examples throughout scripture where God does this with messed up people who have lack of faith, who are totally screwed up, but he still blesses them and calls them into the purposes he has designed in, for them specifically. 
for us specifically now in this life. And it can only be achieved through Jesus, God himself, the Holy One, the perfect one coming to us. God is so transcendent that we in no way could ever reach him of our own desires, our own actions, or wishful thinking that in this stuck situation, he is the one who descends to us. He is the one who comes to us and pursues us. And so we see this in the life of Jesus. He serves. Very practically. We see throughout the Gospels that, that he feeds people. He dines with people. He has meals with the outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. And in fact, many of them he calls to follow him, to be a part of his friend group. He loves the unloved, but he also heals. We would have to try to read um, in a, in a, with a lot of mental gymnastics if we tried to overlook the amount of healing that Jesus did in his life, in his ministry. He was casting out demons. All right, as John said, the light entered the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus says, Go. The demons flee and people are set free. Set free from years of bondage to spiritual darkness. If you look at John 5, the paralytic at the pool of Salem. I mean, to, to just put yourself within this man's shoes. You've been at this pool for 38 years hoping that one day you would make it to the pool when it would bubble up and maybe you would get healed. 38 years. I'm not even 38 years old. And you can imagine the, the amount of hope you might even have at that point in time. But one day, this man who you had never met walks up to you it says, take up your mat and walk. And for the first time in 38 years, you can feel your legs instantly. You can move your toes. You can instantly get up and walk with no muscular atrophy. What kind of man is this? If you think, even Mark 5 with Jairus' daughter being raised to life. As Jairus, as the father, pursuing this man they call Jesus, who is this miracle worker, and wanting him to heal your daughter because she is on her deathbed, and throughout to even, before even having the real conversation with him, of inviting him to pray for her and heal her, she's already dead. Someone showed up and said, just, just don't, don't bother him. And, and Jesus says to you, do not fear just believe. And he takes you back to your house, takes you up into the room where she's lying. And he says, little girl, I say to you, rise. And instantly, her chest starts moving. The color comes back to her face. She's breathing. She opens her eyes and gets up. Jesus loves to heal. 
In the book, Gentle and Lonely, which, man, we're handing out copies out there. I think all of you should get this. Dan Ortland puts this in, in just a beautiful way. He says, And if the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is, we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very fallenness which he came to undo that is most irresistibly attractive to him. He is irresistibly attracted to our brokenness. This is deeper than saying Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away. is so unlike us. It's his deepest impulse to draw near to you because it's what he desires. He desires you. And because when he comes to you and redeems you and heals you, it brings him joy because it's healing his body, the church. He rejoices in that. And with that, he redeems. Like the whole point of healing and serving is to point to the root reason why he's here, and that's to redeem his people. Because in this, he's addressing not just physical hunger, not just physical isolation. He's addressing the spiritual hunger, the spiritual isolation that we and then and now are experiencing and have experienced. It's easy to see the physical stuff. Right? If, you, if you were on the news looking about anything uh, on Afghanistan in the last few weeks, like, it's easy. And you're going to see a lot more of that going out from now. It's easy. Because it's out there. But there's a greater and honestly more horrific spiritual darkness that we have within ourselves, even in our motives, in our thoughts, in our actions, our dreams. And that those things in and of themselves have completely separated us from the Lord. And the great thing about the cross, if, if, if it's anything to you to take away from today, the cross is God's response to the question, does he really care about me? Does he care about suffering? He cares about suffering so much that he himself suffers. We worship a God who bleeds, who dies, who weeps. He takes that brokenness, he takes that sin in its complete and full weight, past, present, and future, upon his shoulders and dies for us. And it's one of those things where it's true when we say, yeah, we don't deserve God's grace, but I think we desire it. I desire life. I desire joy, right? But in and of myself, I don't deserve it. Based on how I've spoken about God and treated God and treated people, I don't deserve it. But I still want it. 
And he supplies more than enough for each and every one of you and any person who would ever call upon his name to save them. question you should really ask yourself, how has he pursued you? We see the cross. We see that, that clear picture of pursuit. But how has he pursued you specifically? Have you thought about that? What mess has he pulled you out of in your life? Has he pulled you out of depression? Has he pulled you out of suicidal thoughts? Has he pulled you out of selfishness? Out of sickness? He's pursued me. He's pulled me out of addiction. He's pulled me out of fatherlessness. He's pulled me out of loneliness. Things that were so characteristic of my life up until 2009. Without a father, without hope, escaping through substances, and being alone. He brought me out of it. He's brought us out of different things as well, but to remember those things, to remember how we just sang, how, remember how our God has made a way. But what does he do in us? Now, on this side of the cross, so he's redeemed us, but now What? Well, that's the whole point of him sending the Spirit. He said, it's better that I go. We're like, what? Why? Because then he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell in every believer around the globe. To be effective agents of the gospel wherever they would go. And a part of that ministry of the Spirit within you, if you are believing in Christ and walking with him, the ministry of the Spirit, or at least part of it, is to continue pursuing you. Like, okay, Jesus pursued me, all right, I'm, I'm cleansed, I'm clean. Man, there's still a lot of work, if we're honest. There's still a lot of work. And the Spirit, as he dwells in you, is beginning to uproot more and more little things that, that we have not yet given over to God, and he's redeeming that and reconciling us in relationships and all sorts of things. So, to think again, like, how has he pursued you, but how is he still pursuing you? What is he working in your life right now? I'm not saying, man, you're, you're in victory today. I'm saying you're in the struggle today. You're in the wrestling today. Is the marriage on the rocks? Are you stressed out about the, the guidance of your kids and where they're going to end up? Stressing about your finances, stressing about stress, your anger, your addictions, the feelings of isolation. Like, if I can be honest, August was not a good month for me, right? And, and it's still kind of carrying over into this month, but, I mean, there was, there was a, a span of three weeks where our house was just sick, like physically sick. RSV went through, and then some other bacterial junk. And I could tell you this, like, I was not relying on the Lord like, I, and I felt weak in my faith. Like, how many times do I have to pray for my wife's health to be healed and it not happen? I'm like, God, I got nothing. You said, and I'm, and I'm trying, and I'm wrestling with this. I'm like, God, you, you've done so many things. Why is this the way it is right now? And I feel angry. I feel stressed out. I feel frustrated with my kids. 
there was frustration between Emily and I. I'm like, God, this is, I feel like this is as close to hell as I'm going to get. And I'll get into this in a couple weeks when we wrap up the series, but it hit a point where I had to just be face-to-face with the truth. Nehemiah 8, where he tells the people of Israel, weep no more, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and I don't know what happened in the moment. There was just something that kind of clicked. It disarmed me. And I'm not saying like, oh, that, that's the one verse and that's going to solve all your problems. I'm still kind of wrestling, but it met me in the moment to, to where I was face-to-face with my limitations and the Spirit showing me, I got this. Don't worry. I'm doing something in you. And, and really, it's a, it's a follow-up of the promise that Paul talks about in Philippians 1.6. He says, He who began a good work in you will continue it on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, saying this, that the Spirit is going to continue working in you every moment in your depression, every moment in your anger, in your hopelessness, in your divisiveness, in the stress that all you're in. I'm bringing you through that to the day of completion when you are all face-to-face with Jesus, without sin, without blemish, full of joy. That's what he is saying. That's what he's actually doing in us. And later Paul says, work out your salvation, meaning keep walking with Jesus, with fear and trembling. For it is the Lord who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like, the Spirit is in you to change your desires and your actions for his good pleasure. So that's hope. It's not all relying upon you. It's upon the powerful work that he's doing within you. So because of that, because of the radical transformation, we pursue. We, in turn, embody the life of Jesus, follow his example by the Spirit's leading, and we go and we pursue. Some of you might be familiar with uh, a man, John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard um, church movement, which is still alive, going well today. He's not alive. But he was sharing this story about when he first came to faith, and so he was kind of this rock star in California. And uh, when he, he uh, was being discipled, he was really just reading his Bible a lot before he got into um, an actual church. And what he began seeing was like, man, Jesus is going out there. He's casting out demons. He's praying for people. There's healing. There's miracles. There's disciples being made, like they're growing in maturity and all that. He's like, okay. And so someone had invited them to their church, and he's like, and it was supposed to be like kind of a, uh, a well-known church in California in those, in those days. And so he had this understanding, like, oh, man, we're going to go, and, man, they're going to, like, talk for 10 minutes, and we're going to go hit the town. Shows up. That wasn't the case. It was sitting around, well, like we're doing today. But um, so he, he came back, and eventually, uh, after that, he had talked to one of the, the leaders. Someone had identified him after the service. And he went up, and he's like, hey, what did he say? Um, he said, hey, so do we, like, do the stuff? And, like, his wife was pulling on his arm, like, no, 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 he's a troublemaker. And, uh, like, do we do this stuff? You know, like, go and pray for people and pray for healing and all. He's like, oh, we don't do that. And he's like, 
Listen, I gave up drugs for this. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I gave up a good time taking a lot of drugs. What have you given up for Jesus? Really, what have you given up? What have you put behind you and given up? Wimber then says, hey, I did the devil's stuff. I want to do God's stuff. And the guy's like, well, do we do that stuff? And the other guy said, well, no, but we sing about it sometimes. And the, the thing is, like, for us, like, do you want to do God's stuff? When we talk about pursuit, it's what he is. It's who he is. It's what he does. And so for us to look at Scripture and say, all the stuff that Jesus is doing, the disciples are doing, the early church is doing, different missionary movements are doing, does that really exemplify, or does that really uh, make us the exception? I think if we really come to terms with that, man, we can't live with that chasm. We can't live with this, oh, those are the radical Christians who like, actually talk about the gospel, and then we're just going to do this. Like, there's no such thing. It's just following Jesus, and following Jesus means that we pursue out of the desires that he's put within us. So, like the early church, how did they survive? It was by living by the Spirit and pursuing one another in life together. If you want to look through Acts chapter 2, that's what you see right off the bat. But of course, we can get it wrong. I think we understand that. And I want to hammer on two easy, common misconceptions. Misconception number one. The pastors are the only ones who pursue. I'll preach that all day. <laughs> and, and a question that we often pose from the front here. Did Jesus make you a fish or a fisher of men? What did he call the disciples into? Come with me and I will make you fishers of men. Not fish. We come from a variety of backgrounds and a variety of struggles. So don't hear me if you're in a place of struggle. You just got to do this. I'm, I'm calling us all to, regardless of where you're at. Jesus has called plenty of broken people to himself in, in, in crazy, terrible situations. He calls them in, says, follow me. Do you want to change? Do you want to be more like him? Do you want to love others as he loves? Because the reality of this is, guys, like, what's the alternative? Like, am I supposed to meet with all of you every week? You're going to have to deal with my wife. I'm not going to do it, though. And, and here's another thing. Like, it, it, it can be common for maybe people who, who, who once were, you know, Catholic, but for Protestants, evangelicals, to kind of rag on Catholics a little bit, like, oh, the, the father, the priest, the pope, and all that, like, but if we're coming in here and doing the same thing, like, I'm the only mediator here, I'm the only arbiter of truth, I'm the only source of discipleship, I'm the only source of community, I'm the only source of shepherding care, it's the same thing. I'm just no caller. So we have to really come to terms with what we're doing and how we ought to really walk with Jesus. Because my role here 
I love teaching, but my main role here is to equip you for the work of the ministry. I'm here to equip you. And we are here to equip one another. And I, yes, I am one of the pastors. I am a spiritual leader here. But I'm, my main role here is to love and, and shepherd and equip you. Uh, misconception number two. You can only pursue if you do it well. To pursue others means you essentially need to be an outgoing, loud personality who knows all of the right things to say. Does anyone else feel that way? That's the way it's got to be? You feel that pressure? No? Okay, just me. <laughs> Hear this from Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. This is coming from Paul, the greatest church planter and discipler, honestly, that's ever existed. He says this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Moving on. Now, it, 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 it's an example for us. Like, I don't think any of us claim to be a better disciple or church planter than Paul. And this is Paul saying, hey, I'm not coming to you with wise words. I'm not coming to you with this brilliant rhetoric. I'm coming to you in weakness, just empowered by the Spirit, listening to what he says, doing what he tells me to do, praying for the sick, healing, all that stuff. It's all because of the demonstration of power in the Spirit so that you would have faith in God, not me. He gives some further instruction here. 1 Thessalonians 5. Some of you might be familiar with it. He says this, 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, which means correct the idle, those who are kind of stagnant, um, stubborn. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Now, if I can be honest with you, my struggle in this is what I've commonly done. I will encourage the idle. I will correct the faint-hearted and be patient with no one. And if I would look back on years of my ministry, like, those are failures. Because there were people struggling with depression, and I just had lack of patience with them. They needed me to listen and pray for them. There were people just willfully just stuck in sin. Not seeing a big deal with it at all. And just coming to sit with me talking about the Bible. And I knew about it, but I didn't call it out. That doesn't mean I stop. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to resign and someone else can fill my place and they can go through that same cycle. It means... For me, and for us, to keep walking with Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus to love and lead the way he does. He's going to help you grow, right? He's made those promises that he's going to bring you to completion. One day, it's going to be complete, and it's going to be good. And along the way, you're going to experience moments and seasons of joy that would never have happened apart from him. It applies to all of us. So we pursue each other, we pursue the lost. 
Guys, it, it, it's plain and simple. Like, if Jesus has really pursued us and we've been changed, we are called to make disciples. We have a, a developing ministry that Jacob's going to be leading up here that I'm really excited about, and we're going to equip you in evangelism, and we're going to hit the streets. We're going to hit all these different areas and mix it up with people, and we're going to pray like God will bring healing, that God will bring salvations, that God will bring people who are outcasts into our community. Because we want to follow Jesus into the tough places. We want to become more like him. And so, yes, that can also look like groups and fighter groups in your workplace and all that. But at the core of it, we need to have his heart. And so we need to be in a place this morning of, of going out from today, of cultivating the desire to pursue. So I want to ask you the question, what do you want? What do you really want? In your life, when you think of your relationship with Jesus, your family and all that, what do you really want? Do you want to settle? We've all formed plenty of new habits and lifestyles during COVID. And I think we know a lot of them aren't great for our relationship with Jesus. That's been so much of our shepherding conversations. People feeling stagnant, people feeling distant, people absorbing all kinds of different content, wrestling in ways that they had never experienced before. And it's these, these ruts that we kind of find ourselves in that we really dig out and find ourselves in that really causes a, a, a felt distance between us and Jesus? Do you want to settle? Do you just want to live in the rut? Or do you want to join with Jesus in his mission? Like, would, Do you want to be in a place where you long, like genuinely long for what Jesus would do in your lives, in your church, in this church, in our lifetimes, in our kids' lifetimes? Like, I think back to what, what was happening here in this church before COVID hit. And man, like January, February, March, like our leaders were just gathering here once a month. And man, like, it was so good. We were praying and we saw God heal people. We saw the body ministering to itself. People seeking prayer for their anxiety, for their depression. Be encouraged by spontaneous words that came clearly from the Lord. And I want that. Again, that doesn't mean I'm going back. We've got to do it the way we used to. I'm saying, no, we're going forward. We're following Jesus. We're going forward. And so it might look different. It's going to look like a changed schedule, really, if that's what you want. There's going to be sacrifices. There's going to be changes. But it is going to be transformative for you if you say, I'm following you today, Jesus. I don't want to be stagnant anymore. I don't want to wrestle with this apathy. I want you, and that is it. So we plead with him, Lord, fan back into flame our desires for you, our desires for our city. I want to end with this. There's a song that came out recently. It's called Too Good to Not Believe. And and this is from the songwriter's perspective, and, and I've heard some of these stories from this songwriter. He, he says this, I've seen cancer disappear. 
I've seen metal plates dissolve. I've seen real life resurrection. I've seen mental health restored. I've seen families reunited. I've seen prodigals returned. I've seen troubled souls delivered. I've seen addicts finally free. And then he looks forward. We'll see cities in revival and salvation flood the streets. We'll see glory fill the nations like the world has never seen. Don't you tell me he can't do it because I know that he can. Do you want it? Do you want him? So for us this morning, to be at this place, God, we cry out for you. Revive us again. Psalm 85. Revive us again, O Lord. Let us see your pursuit of us. And so we're going to respond. Let's just move into that. We'll invite up the response teams. And for us, really, what does it look like to respond to this? To the pursuing heart of Jesus towards us individually this morning. He's here. He's pursuing you right now. And for us to be in a place, Lord, I want it. Or being in a place like, Lord, I'm struggling to see why this is good. But still pleading, God, bring life, bring reconciliation, bring joy to my life. And so we're going to give you time to pray however long you need. If it goes through the music, if it goes into the point where we're locking up, do it. Seek the Lord in prayer this morning. Um, if this is your church, I encourage you to give. We'll have the text to give up there, like out of just the joy and the transformation God's brought into you. I'm not re-preaching last week. Guys, we're going to do communion, and so if, if you have made Jesus your Savior, if you say, He's mine and I am His, we're going to remember the sacrifice that God gave for us, His Son. And so we take the bread, we dip it in the cup, we see and take of His body, and his blood, and remember, Lord, this is what you have given for me, that I could be with you. And not go through that quickly, just really linger in that. Linger in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. It's for you. And maybe the Spirit has been working on your heart this morning, and and maybe even giving you something that might be a word of encouragement for this body. Um, If that's the case, and even if you think it's kind of weird what it might be, um, sort it out with Terry. Um, We're not going to give the mic to anybody to say whatever they want, but let's sort it out with one of our elders, and we'll we'll see what the Lord's going to do. But here's something I want us to do this morning as we go into this response time. I want us to just, just pray together. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. May even hold your hands out, whatever... For you, it is the best um, posture of receiving from the Lord this morning. And I want to pray over you right now. Um, We're going to have the prayer team up at the end of music. But I want to pray for you right now. If if God's just really doing something in your heart. Jesus, I thank you for your pursuit of us, your love, your undying, unconditional love for us. God, and I pray for this body that you would bring restoration in our relationships, activate pursuit like never before, that we would live as living sacrifices for your glory, for your joy, for our joy. 
Lord, so I pray just over the minds of the people in this room. Lord, I pray just over the mental health and just the thoughts that are just dominating their minds right now. Lord, I pray that every thought would be taken captive and sat at the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray for miraculous healing right now over depression, suicidal thoughts, that the cloud would be removed and that they would see your glory, Jesus. Lord, I pray for the bodies of the people in this room, specifically chronic illnesses, issues that people have wrestled with for maybe their whole lives or just this, this week or whatever, even a diagnosis that just came out. Lord, we pray for miraculous physical healing in our body as a testimony of your grace and power and love for us. Lord, I pray over the hearts of the people in this room right now that those who feel distant would be drawn near to the throne of grace. That they would be embraced by you, Father. That no doubts would linger. No thoughts of condemnation from the enemy would linger upon them. That they would feel free as sons and daughters of God. Lord, and I ask that you would bless their hands and feet as your ministers, as people of you, of your word, to bring the good news to people, to pursue the lost, to pray for them, to seek the power and the things that you would do in their lives even today. God, move in power. We seek you, Lord. We ask that you would fan back into flame our desires for you, the things that we have been kind of asking for in the back of our minds. But God, we ask now, we bring them to the front, and we say, God, would you pour out your spirit, fill this body, fill our hearts. Would we be transformed, Jesus? Would this city be transformed? Would this world be transformed by the work that you do in this body? May we know your pursuing love of us, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.